One, two, one, two. Now here we go. You know what time it is? Welcome to another episode of the Frankie Lee Podcast. Our mission to empower others to break patterns, flip perspectives, so that together we have clarity, direction, and success way beyond what we ever previously thought possible. Here's your host, Frankie Lee. Welcome back to the Frankie D podcast. Today we have uh, an Australian legend himself. Like he's, if if you've not seen his face in Australia, I think you'd be lying to yourself. I mean, Jim Penman is is on on everything. Jim from Jim's Group, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, welcome. Good to be here. Um, thanks, thanks for coming on, Jim. I suppose the the best place for us to start in regards to you is obviously you, you've 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 smashed it. You've got Jim. You've got franchises and everything now. But obviously, I just wanted to understand kind of how you started your entrepreneurial journey in the first place. Because I know you, um, when I did a bit of research on you, you were never really looking to get into the franchise model and, and the business element. You you're more so studying, and you wanted to you wanted to use like lawn mowing to fund what you. Were doing elsewhere that's right well actually i i never had an idea of going into business for many many years um my whole purpose of going to university was to understand the reason for the rise and fall of civilizations that one of those big topics which i've been fascinated since i was a you know like 14 years old and and so i went and studied how to try sociology didn't like that much went into history ended up doing a phd come up with this very radical idea, assumed that I'd get a, some sort of academic post, found that was completely hopeless and out of the question. But fortunately, I'd been mowing lawns as a part-time student job during my PhD years, and that proved to give me an alternative way of making a living. So you, so you were just literally just mowing mowing lawns to pay your way through your education at the time, and that's how you kind of got started. Yeah, right. So, So when well, you... When you're a student, you see, you're working, you're inside, you're sitting at a desk on a computer and reading all the time. So to me, to my mind, I want a bit of a break from that. So to get outside, which I enjoy anyway, push a lawnmower around was was good. It was a change and also much better money because I could charge like five bucks to mow somebody's lawn in half an hour, which back in the 1970s was pretty good money. Yeah, I, I, I imagine I mean, there's, there's still kids mowing lawns for five dollars today. So I imagine five dollars was a hell of a lot more then. So wh- after once you got started in this, in, in obviously mowing lawns and, and doing all this, and you're earning this money, and you're obviously supporting your education. When did you think to yourself, okay, look, I can actually really turn this into a into a, into a business, and I'm going to focus more on this than actually the, the educational side of stuff. Well, it wasn't so much that; it was more the fact that I failed in my academic career. Because what I realized, and I was pretty stupid not to know it, is to be an academic in history, you have to know one area of history really, really well. You have to be the absolute expert in, you know, labor relations in Victoria in the 1930s, something like that. You have to be the world expert. That's how you become a historian. Now, I wasn't just interested in one country. I was interested in the whole world over all of human history. And not only that, but also cross-cultural anthropology, psychology, zoology, biology, a whole lot of things. My, My theory was so vast. I was just far too wide in my interests. So it was just radical. So I really ended up basically flat broke. I'd made a few stupid decisions, um, deeply in debt with no academic career. And I just started mowing lawns out of desperation. But behind this was this concept that if I ever wanted to pursue my ideas, I was going to need a lot of lots of money to do it. Because even though my field was history, 
it actually had gone into the area of physiology and biology and you had to do sort of experiments and use reagents and all kinds of things, none of which I understood and I had no money. So the idea behind doing this was to go into business so I could fund the research to continue what I did in my PhD. That, that, that's good because I think that when you see a lot of these people that are, that are studying like history and studying all these type of type of topics, I've often wondered myself how they fund themselves to give themselves the time to be able to do that because it must take a hell of a lot of money to, to, to be able to sit there and just literally indoctrinate yourself into one niche of, of, of part of history and just go f- all into that for like 20 years of your life to become that expert in it and I don't understand how I didn't understand how they funded it and now they must be doing things like like you were doing obviously to be able to do that in the first place yeah usually making a bit less money than I did but because you're working with somebody as a barista or something like that or waiting tables or delivering pizzas or whatever you're doing that's how students work yeah so after you after you've been doing this lawn round obviously when I was reading doing the research you obviously built up quite a number of rounds over a short period of time and and then what was it that kind of um clicked in your mind to start saying okay i'll build these and sell these to other people well it was more of an accident because what actually happened was that i was mowing lawns and i was keeping abreast but then i I, what i didn't say is that I'd, i'd spent 10 years trying to get a phd and i failed they knocked me back and my, my, my thesis supervisor said to me, look, if you resubmit, if you rewrite and resubmit, you should be able to get this thing, to rewrite the methodology. And um, uh, and it was of no point to it career-wise because there was no job there. But you said, you spent all this time, I thought, you spent all this time in trouble. You might as well see if I can get myself a doctorate. But I was too busy. So I thought, okay, what I can do is I can collect some of these law main clients that I had and I can sell them as a going concern to somebody else. And... I was actually, I didn't know anything about business, but I was very good with clients. I was really, really good at doing a really expert job and turning up on time. So I used to pick up clients very easily and very quickly. So what I did was I put an ad in the paper, The Age, to um, to sell a lawn mowing ground with my customers that I had. And this is the amount of cut I had, the amount of customers, and this is the income and this kind of stuff too. And so somebody was interested and they started inquiring and we talked about it for a while. And all this time I was pulling up more customers. By the time it... I came to pass over these clients. I had another run. I was flat out. And so I needed the time to do it. So I thought, okay, I'll do it again. So I sold another run. And the same thing happened. And while I was, that was going through, I kept on getting more customers. So I ended up selling three lawn mowing grounds in very quick succession. And the thing about that was that it not only gave me the time to finish off my thesis, but it also gave me the money. Yeah, and then it I kind of funded it for actually, you going to make more money building up and selling lawn mowing grounds than I was going to be able to do it just just by mowing lawns for myself so that's that's how I progressed on that I think I think what you did there is you became really good at marketing like you became really good at at obviously pulling in clients and and getting clients into your world so that you could then obviously sell them to people that probably weren't good at marketing and weren't good at building yeah well it was the marketing was part of it but it was also the fact when you get the lead you turn into a client so it's the actual it's actual control the marketing isn't that difficult Lots of people can find work, turn them into ongoing regular clients is the hard part. And I was quite good at that. Mostly I was just very fanatical about service. I just had an emotional reaction. I, I just couldn't leave a lawn that didn't look perfect. I hated to let a client down ever. I, I virtually never did. So I just was very good at running that kind of business. And did, did you get to did you get to the point where you thought to yourself, okay, like that there's there's something I'm clearly doing here that's the same thing every time, so I'm gonna at that point did you say to yourself okay i'm going to put this into a system 
or did, or was it when you when you when someone suggested the word franchise to you that's when you put it in the system or did you already systemize it kind of down down in terms of SOPs and all that kind of stuff beforehand yeah it's never as dramatic as that look the 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 way i look at business is this every day you try and do it better you look at what you're doing and say how can you do it better now whether it starts off in the first time i was pushing a lawnmower around to now it's exactly the same process there would be one day of my working life or even my non-working life when i'm not asking myself this question constant looking to improve so even when you're mowing a lawn how do you collect the grass bags with the least time how do you unload a mower from a trailer most efficiently how do you look after your equipment how do you travel between clients to reduce traveling time how do you market better how do you make clients more happy how do you increase your hourly rate on doing certain jobs how do you do extra things that can make more money and make clients more happy you just ask yourself these questions there's not so much coming up with one system as constantly changing your system it's constantly iterating yeah, so, it, but it's little things. It's not so much one or two big ideas. It's it's a thousands. It's tens of thousands of little little things that that go on all the time when you're looking at it. That's the difference between somebody who's good at business. Not it's not so much having some great spark of genius. It's just saying, okay, how can I do this better? Can I add one tenth of a percent to my income by doing this? Not not that I think of it in those terms. How can I make my clients happier? I spend a lot of my time thinking about those things. You know, every day I actually go through all of our low surveys, all of our poor surveys. I look at the reasons and respond to them and respond to people looking, having the plates taken off. And I'm always thinking, how can we do better? How can we improve the software, the systems to do this? It's, it's every, every day. So what you're essentially saying, Jim, is the fact that you're going into into the into the part of the business that like the complaints section, and you're and you're finding out what the what the where the issues are lying, and you're trying to figure out the one percents to put into place to make those better, rather than yeah. looking at all the five star reviews over here and thinking, yeah, that's that's great. You're trying to find where your low service points are, and then finding solutions to the problems so that you can obviously increase yeah. the increase the the customer satisfaction that way. Well, for example, one of the main issues is we have in gyms is that we offer people a two-hour callback, but then the franchisee brings back that they get through, they leave a message, the client doesn't see the message, but they normally don't listen to phone messages, then they complain there was no service. So what we're trying to do is to drive into franchisees, you must send the text. Hi, this is Bill from Jim's Cleaning, tried to call just now, please call me back on so-and-so. The client will really miss that. Yeah, so I yeah. try and impress that on people by responding to them. And we put it in newsletters and I tell it again and again. And then we're developing software, which will actually do this automatically. So when you can't get through to a client, you just tap it, couldn't get through, it automatically sends the text. So yeah. it's kind of like looking at, uh, and we lose thousands of jobs a year because of the fact that you don't, people don't send a small text. It's, yeah, and it's, it's just a simple follow-up, simple follow-up. And it can all be automated yeah. these days. Yeah, well, it's not yet automated, but by the end of the year, we will have it automated. Anybody using our system of software, which we're calling Bizzer, will actually be able to do this really, really simply. Also, when they email a quote, one of the common problems is they don't, it doesn't, they get the email address wrong, which is commonly the case, or it goes to junk mail. So again, you've got to confirm all the email quotes with a text. If you do that, the client will very rarely miss out. Otherwise, yeah. people miss out. You lose the job. The client thinks Jim's is lousy. Now, in fact, they've done the quote. They sent it, but it wasn't received. Yeah. So this is just things. Look, these are just two little examples. I could give tens of thousands more of all kinds of things. But they're all things that you're that you're picking up from the from the complaints yeah. and obviously taking out of there and then and then systemizing around that to obviously solve the issues ongoing with so your franchisees go and serve people better. 
But there's so many other things too, like, for example, we've got franchisees who stay with us for a long time and then decide to go independent because they don't, they've got enough work. And, and, and so what do we do about that? What, what can we offer them? What extra things can we do? You know, what, what, what benefits can we provide? Now, one of the things we're looking at is a way of getting them to boot up and sell surplus clients, for example, give them a reason to stay in or ways of reducing their fees and so forth, of giving them a different kind of status within the system. Um, there's just so many different ideas about how you can do things better. And that's what the process is right from the beginning. It was never so much some grand master plan, but it was thousands and thousands of little ideas every day. How do you do it better? Yeah, and and when I was do when I when I was looking back into into your journey, I saw that at one particular point there was another business that you saw that franchised it that you approached. I think I think was the story that you approached them to try and um, work with them, but they didn't want to work with you in in some respects. So you so that okay, was the story. What happened was this is back in the late nineteen eighties. Uh, I had a business that was building up and selling lawn mowing rounds, quite small, no uniforms, no signage, no nothing, not franchised, just very okay. You know. I, I managed to buy myself, get out of debt, buy myself a house. I was doing all right. And then this company called VIP came from Adelaide and they were actually very successful. They had like 250 franchisees, which, you know, these days is not big. We've got well over 4,000. But the fact that in those days that was giant. They had more money and they had these offices and they had uniforms and signed trailers and a fancy office in South Melbourne, all this, all this stuff. And, and I just thought these guys would crush me. I thought I can't compete with somebody who's so good at what they're doing. They're interstate. So I just rang up the state manager. I said, look, I'm Jim from Jim's mowing. And he knew who I was. And I said, look, I just don't want to compete with you guys. You're too, obviously too experienced. I just can, what if I just help to build VIP? I'll just provide you with clients and so forth to help you build your business. And he said, "Um, no, thanks. Don't want to do that. So I decided, I just, I decided I have to try and see if I could compete with them. So I, I went to the expo that year in 1988 in melbourne and um i just raided this store i went up to the store and said to them how does this thing work um not being a very good liar if they've asked me why um i wanted to know i would have told him but he didn't ask fortunately and he gave me all this information about how it worked and he gave me this brochure which had all this stuff in it i didn't even know what a heat seal binder was i knew nothing and i took it away and then actually the state manager came on who knew me he said that's jim penman don't tell him anything else so they kicked me off the stand but I went away and I took this brochure and I looked at the system and I thought, well, hang on a bit. There is some benefit to this. I can see why a person would join VIP. Yeah. And I and in the past I hadn't seen that. I had no, I could understand selling around, but what what could you offer ongoing? But there were benefits to being in a system. What, what were the benefits at the time, Jim, that you were seeing that was so uh, tra- like so overwhelming to you? Well, for example, one benefit is if you're in a lawn mowing business, you might have a business that's worth you know a lot of money, and then you break your leg, you're off for six weeks, your clients are all gone. Yeah. So what do you do? But if you're a part of a franchise, the franchise will look after you, which just happens all the time. It's not all the time, but it does happen. People get sick. So we look after their clients for them. That's just one example. Then you've got things like meetings where you can discuss ideas and get extra training and, and so forth. And you can buy in groups, buy, you can buy a discount. There's, there's, there were advantages to the system. But yeah. Yeah. when I looked at it, I thought, okay, there's one thing. I reckon I can do a system that would work better for the franchisees. Yeah, that was my. Concept. I thought, okay, your franchisees become your primary clients when you're franchising. The customers out there are important, but your franchisees have got to be looked after. You can't grow and you can't keep them. So that was my concept. 
So I actually spent the best part of a year working on a contract that would give them many advantages. And I put in all kinds of stuff. I knew that, for example, in VIP, when a new person came into an area, they used to go into them and take all the regular clients from existing guys and give them to the new person. And the franchisees super resented that. Even if they were paid for it, they didn't like it. Yeah. So I put in my contract a clause that said, we cannot take a job off you without your consent unless the customer complains. I also set up a system where they could choose where they wanted to work and when they were going to work. We all done through a blackboard originally so they could get the work they wanted, when they wanted it, where they wanted it. And I put in a whole kinds of um, territory rights, for example. I allowed them to work. They got right of first refusal for jobs in their territory, but they could work wherever they wished to. Yeah. So that was they weren't restricted. There was a whole stack of different things that I put in, which I thought franchisees would like. I also said, too, if you want to put a second trailer on the road, you don't pay any extra. Your, your fee remains the same. So you can build as many as you like. And we've got franchises turning over in the millions. They've paid the same base fee. So I put all these benefits in. And then I thought, yeah. I'm going to give them the best support possible. And I can see if I can compete with this VIP crowd who really scared me. And I thought, somebody asked me at the beginning when I first launched how many franchises I might have. And I said, look, if it really goes well, one day I could have 100. And, you, and you're now sitting at over 4,000. Well, 4,000 are growing fast. We, we actually grow by 100 like every, every three weeks or something. It's just a, it's a different world. And is, it, and is it Jim's mowing that grows the, the, the most rather than Jim's cleaning and Jim's everything else? No, actually, the fastest growing divisions right now, mowing has had a very good year, but the fastest growing divisions will be cleaning and dog wash. Both of them are going very good, which has to do not so much with the customers, but they've both got great leaders. And um, Hayda and Ali run cleaning, and, and and Sharon Connor runs dog wash, and they're just legends. They're just great people. They've got great systems. And when and when obviously say you're deciding to go into a new niche, Jim, do you go and pick up um, one overriding expert in that niche, and then and then bring them in, systemize that that niche, and then uh, launch it as a franchise uh, opportunity, or or how does that work? It doesn't work that way. What happens is people come to us. Um, right. They come to us, I'd like to launch this business. Most most divisions, virtually all of them start the same way. And, and then the, they're the person that brings the expertise in and they take charge of it. That's how it works. Right. And then you and then you brand on top of that and help them systemize and then yeah. and grow from there. And then well, once you they, they know how to do things like they know the technical side, they know a bit about the marketing and so forth and about how you train people and what kind of people can do and, and how to deal with, with problems with clients. They know all that kind of stuff. What we understand is contracts. Cust- uh, franchisee support, customer service, like turning up on time, um, proper uniforms, having trailer signage done properly, all those kind of things. So you, you, you specialise. They look at what's specific to their business. We look at what we understand and we do you know, reasonably well. No, I, I like it. I like I like I like how the fact that that the experts are coming into into your business and you're just you're just wrapping the business element around it, the marketing, the structure, and then you're and then you're taking them and then obviously that that, that proves itself and works out accordingly according to that. Let's just go. What about, sorry, what talking about one of the, one of the, the secrets too is that I make myself very available, very yeah. contactable. Somebody in my position, I actually just I just have an open email, Jim at Jim's dot net. People contact me. So almost always what happens is somebody, somebody emails me and has this idea. Most of the time it doesn't go anywhere for various reasons because it's, you know, they're not actually running the business successfully or whatever. But it's how I pick up new business. Somebody just writes to me and says, I've, I've, got, I've been doing this. Could this be franchisable? I talk about it. I say, what sort of hourly rates can you get? If they can't make at least 60 bucks an hour, not worth doing. Um, 
and and what sort of expertise have you got and how successful are you and stuff. If it looks good, we, we talk further. We put them through a training course and then obviously your uncle will help them to start. How did you get to that $60 an hour cut off, cut off point for you knowing whether it's going to work or not? How did you, how, how, why, why is that 60, not 50? Or why is that 60, not 70? You know, what, why is it 60? Um, well, I, I don't know. I mean, don't forget, this is raised over the years. Back when we started 30 years ago, the price wasn't that high. But it's just, look, it's just a good guideline is to say, if you're making 60 bucks an hour, that means in a 40-hour week, you can make about $2,500. I mean, that's kind of like roughly where it is, which to me is a decent living. If you're going to run a business, you're not working for 20 bucks an hour, are you? Yeah, 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 so for sure, we, for sure. We don't, we don't have 60 in there. I think most franchises would make that. Um, some don't. I think some, some of the cleaning people don't. I had, I had a, I was doing a 10-year call to one of my cleaning franchises, and he was a great guy. He was making like... Um, Every time he had a, he had a uh, his and you can see from his rating too, he's a fantastic customer service. Every time he had a vacancy, six people would would dive in and say, "Please, can you look after me?" But the problem with this guy is he wasn't charging enough. He's only making about fifty bucks an hour. And I said to him, "You've really got to put your prices up. You could be charging an extra twenty percent. You still have plenty of work." Yeah, he was just very reluctant to do it for some reason. People people tend to undervalue themselves um, and what they do. Like every time, every time you're oversubscribed in your business, especially in like a cleaning business or a mowing business, you should be up in your rates by a, a percentage because obviously that's the reason why you're oversubscribed. And if you get people fall off, you fill them with new ones, and when you hit the limit again, you you, you raise your prices again, don't you? It's, it's just the yeah. classic business. I was look like just this morning. I was I was talking to a um, emailing back and forth with a cleaning franchisee who who's finding himself over overloaded. And he wants to put his prices up, but he wants to make sure he doesn't get a complaint out of it. So I just told him how to do it. I said, be very apologetic. Actually, what he wants to do was to was to get rid of his surplus clients. He can't, he can't cope with so many. His, his demand is too much. And I said, don't do that. Put your prices up. Raise them 10 20%. If the customer complains, then I'll, just, I'll wipe any complaint. It's, to us, charging high is not a complaint ever. Yeah, it's, turning up late is a complaint. Doing a poor work is a complaint. Overcharging is never a complaint. So I said, put your prices up. He's obviously a, he's like a four point nine star rating out of five. He's a fantastic operator. Obviously, customers love him. I said, you've got to be charging more. So go right through your whole business and put up all your prices until you're making so much more money. And then if you lose that, if it doesn't matter because there's plenty of work. Yeah, I love I love it, and I just want to I just want to go back, Jim, to you've obviously you when you picked up that glossy brochure from VIP, and and you go you go you you took it home and you've dissected that, and you've now seen the positives and the negatives to how Jim's group could be as a franchise model. What what was what was your what was your next step then? Obviously, you thought to yourself, I'm not selling any more rounds. I'm just gonna. because I kept on selling all my rounds because I didn't have a contract. It took me nine months to get a contract together because because lawyers couldn't understand what I was trying to do. They kept on telling me you're being too nice the way they put it. They, they couldn't understand how I was giving all this power to franchisees. They said a franchisor should write the contract to suit them so you can do whatever you like. Right. And I said, no, I wanted something that I want to join if I was on the other side of the table. I want a fair system. And they actually told me you're an idiot. You are doing this. You will definitely want to tighten this up with time and give yourself more power. I actually did the opposite. With time, we put in extra powers for franchisees. For example, we made it possible for franchisees to change to a different franchisor if they weren't happy. Their own franchise has no say. 
We made it possible for them to vote out their franchisor. We actually allowed them to veto changes to their own manuals. These are all things that come in over the years. Yep, in fact, yep. the, the manual thing only happened a couple of years back. And it's, and so, it's just your it's just it's just in your mind to if you give them that empowerment to be able to make change, then they'll be happier within themselves. They'll serve the customers better, and that's that's where you're going with it. Yes. Yeah, that's right. I'm not saying everybody loves gyms. One of the things people get very upset about is there will be a push on customer service, particularly me. Some people, I had a, I had a franchisee just this week who, who got so upset about some of the complaints that came through. He's quite a good franchisee, actually, but he just didn't like the fact that I wouldn't take off a complaint unless there was some evidence for it. I will if there's a reason. If you can show, I called the client, I texted them, they didn't, they said I didn't call, but I did. Yeah, sure, I'll take it off. Or if you go back and fix the job, then we'll take it off. But he wanted me to take off customers that complaints that I didn't think were there was clear evidence for. And he got so angry, he said, I'm leaving the system. I'm going into Now, these things happen. So not everybody loves gyms. But the benefit of the system that we have is that we have an enormous amount of work. About one in three jobs are now unserviced. And our franchisees tend to be completely flat out year round, which was definitely not so in the, in the past. So pushing customer service can upset franchisees from some points of view, but at the same time, it makes them, it keeps them very busy and they can charge really good prices because their reputation is so strong. No, I, I, I like that. I like the way that you've, you, you've got to, you've got to be able to say no when it needs to be said, because you can't just have people remove, removing bad reviews and stuff like that, just because it doesn't suit them at that particular time. They have yeah. to, they have to show the willingness to, to own the fact that they own a business within a business and they have to service the clients, right. To, to get, to get these better reviews. They don't, they don't actually argue with that. What they tend to say is that I do give good service, but the client was unreasonable or, or whatever. That, that, that's kind of like what, what comes out of it. I mean, this guy, um, I shouldn't give his name. This guy's actually a very good operator. He just did, he just objected to the poor surveys because people are very sensitive about surveys. They, they matter a great deal. Yeah. Like if you've got a something like a four point eight or four point nine or five point zero, you're a star. You know, somebody who's somebody who's like a four point two is 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 really not good at all. And we can send warning letters and all kinds of things and in breach notices if they do really? badly enough. And, and, so it's a lot of pressure, and people do feel the pressure. They even say I'm causing them to have mental illness because there's so much pressure from these things. But I said, yeah, maybe, but at the same time, not being able to feed your family is also going to cause you mental pressure as well. And our system does give you a lots and lots and lots of work. But the support's there to help them be a, a four-and-a-half, five-star business within, within your business anyway. So 4.5 wouldn't be good. The average star rating in gyms is 4.65. But what's interesting, you know, is people who leave in, in, within the first year, and we lose about 12% in the first year, their average star rating is 4.2. So right. those who give great service actually tend to tend to stay a lot longer because they make better money. There's a very strong correlation. You find a franchisee is on a poor rating, they're often struggling to pay their fees. Yeah, yeah. And, that's, and, and that is all predicated down to the fact that they're not servicing the clients right in the first place because if they're servicing the clients right, they'd, they'd, they'd be happier, they'd earn more money, they'd be able to pay the fees. There's not, a, there's not an issue to you. You're not getting on their back as a business about their poor star rating. So it all, it all flows in a circle of doom. So if the, you know, and, and ultimately, at the end of the day, for you as, a, as, 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 the, as, the, as the main man in the business, don't want 4.2 franchisees because that, that brings the whole group down as a whole doesn't it yes look i was i actually they put me on the phone yesterday just as a as a sort of thing to do a video of me answering a few phone calls and then one of them actually spoke to this lady who was booking a job 
and which I managed to put for it properly. But then I said, look, I'm Jim. I'm the, the founder of the company. I just wondered, you know, what, what you think about gyms? She said, oh, it's fantastic. And you know, I use you guys for everything. You know, and she mentioned real life, a whole lot of services she offered us for because she gets such great service. So this customers using us for lots of things and recommending to their friends and stuff is what drives it. I was telling a few of my real estate friends that work for different different organizations. Some of them are high up in Ray White. Some of them are high up in Harcourts, and and others are high up in in other um, top top end brands on the Gold Coast. And they were, they they all said that they used your services for cleaning, for mowing, for this, for that. I didn't realize how many businesses use your services to service their clients as well i thought it was just like um just like myself i might get my garden done or something like that that's that that's what i thought it was but it's more loads of businesses use gyms to, to service their clients as well yeah because because on the whole and it's not always i mean it upsets me because i read every day on the whole we do give good service and we do give a good job one thing we're not is cheap and i tell my franchisees never compete on price yeah. Never, ever compete on price. We are the elite. We are not interested in competing with the likes of high pages. If, you, if they want three quotes, for heaven's sake, leave them alone. Go somewhere else. Yeah. Them, put, put your, or put your price on, but, but never compromise. Never, no pension discounts, no nothing. My, my primary loyalty actually is, is, is to my franchisees. I want them to be successful. That's the core of what we do. Yeah. Actually, we say this. My first priority is the welfare of my franchisees. We're also passionate about customers, but you look after customers because they help your franchisees to succeed. Yeah. No. No. I. I totally agree. And at the end of the day, anyone that wants three quotes for anything probably isn't doing business with any one of the three quotes they get anyway. Like they're they're no, just. They're... I, I know that. And that people complain about high pages because of that. They do it, and it's very common to get a bad survey back because a lousy job done, and the franchisee says, "But they didn't take my quote. It wasn't me." That's very common. They get somebody else to do it, get a lousy job. Yes, they were cheaper, but the job wasn't good. How are gyms like getting most of their leads in for their for for their franchisees and 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 get for getting customers? What what's what's your main what's your main way of doing that? On the internet these days, it's all changed completely. All like Facebook, Instagram, or, or are we talking Google or? or... Uh, most most of them just look up Google. Sometimes they look up other things too, but mainly mainly just they just look us up. Because their name is so powerful, because because of reputation and because you see thousands of trailers driving around and vans driving around, people just know the brand and they use us. They've had experience. They, they you know, in, in general, we look after people well. Not always. I, I get I get frequent messages which say they're so disgusted they'll never use us again, and which really upsets me. But generally speaking, we do get good service. It's mostly reputation. One interesting thing lately is that not only has our unserviced list been rising dramatically, we, we, the, the demand for our services is rising far more than it ever has in the past. We, we can't even spend the advertising quite often. We've actually had to give back the best part of a million dollars to our franchisees in unusable advertising because they're so busy year-round. Not in right. every division, but in yep. certain divisions, particularly ones like fencing and mowing where there's a huge demand and we just can't cope with it. Does 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 that mean then you have to bring in more franchi- franchisees to, to to facilitate all this extra work that you could be getting? And that's what, that's what we're trying to do, obviously. But that's the point, and that's the hardest part. Getting more clients is easy. Getting more franchisees is is more is, of a challenge. Or getting more of the right types right types of franchisees is more yeah. more so the question, isn't it? Just, I just want to pivot back because I really want to go through this. One thing, one thing I, I, we'll touch upon is the importance of customer service and the importance of customer satisfaction. Like you have taught 
um, like you have touched upon now, I will. T- I think we should touch upon that again, really in depth, and get get your tips on that later on. But going back to that first year, you've got this contract, you've got this golden contract written. That you've 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 reiterated, reiterated, reiterated. Got it exactly how you wanted it to. What was your next step from there? Then was was it was it like one, two, three franchises, or or did you go from one to a hundred really quick? Okay, now what happened was I've been selling lawn mowing grounds for a while and I had some subcontractors. Most of the subbies weren't very good, but some of them were. So what I did is I went back to the good people, the best people who had bought lawn mowing grounds for me and said, I will swap your round for a franchise, rebrand it, I'll show you all the advantages. If you don't like me, you can just walk out again and go independent, which, which none of them ever did, but you could. And I went to my best subbies and they knew that it was finishing and they just said, okay, we'll switch. Or someone said, we'll, we'll, we'll take a franchise. So I already had, you know, there was probably about a dozen people to start with. And then also I was, the people were interested in lawn mowing rounds. They were coming through all the time. So I was, um, I just said, look, I've got this new franchise concept. Would you like to change to that? Because we're, we're changing directions. By the way, the way I used to sell lawn mowing rounds was I used to put a little, um, every time I person, I dealt with a, 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 somebody who wanted to buy a round from me, I put their name and their phone number in black text on a white card and I stuck it behind me on a board. Right. If anybody's interested in buying a lawn mowing around from me, I would I would um, say, look at the board and ring some people there and ask them what to do with. So they'd ring them up and they say, what's Jim like? And they say, yeah, he was fantastic. He gave us everything he said he would if customers dropped out. He he always replaced them without any hassles at all. He was always happy to offer advice. I even used to run free lunches and stuff for them. So they were. that's why I used to sell lawn mowing rounds. Um and when I started franchising, I actually did the same thing. This was decades before the Code of Conduct. I had a list of my current franchisees with their phone numbers. And people would come to me and say, why should I buy a business from you when you're just starting up? And, you know, VIPs all in the state and they call these franchisees. And I said, yeah. well, look, some differences. But here's a list of my franchisees. I want you to go away and I want you to ring as many of them as you can. And then I want you to go to VIP and get their list. But that was being a little bit precious because I knew they wouldn't provide a list. They couldn't provide a list. Right. And do a comparison. And anybody who did that research would go with us because because my people were a lot happier than theirs were. And what kind of numbers did you get up to by, by doing that, by running that process? Well, at the end of the first year, I think we had about 60. So that's, it was a decent start. That's, that's, I mean, it is, that's quite high growth for franchise though, isn't it? Well, for starting from nothing, yeah. But don't forget, it's a lawnmower business. Not it's not having sixty McDonald's. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> sixty McDonald's, I'll be a lot richer than I am now. Um, so yeah, yeah, that was that was it was good. It was surprising, actually. It really was surprising. People started coming from interstate. You know, when I first did this, I actually had a something in the contract about interstate, and I said, "Don't be stupid. This is a lawnmower business. It's going to go interstate." That's what I said. But but people kept they just kept on coming to me and, and saying we're interested. I've heard what you're doing in Melbourne. We'd like to start the same thing in Brisbane or whatever. And um, a couple of my franchisees actually went into state. One of my guys from from um, Melbourne went into state. Went moved to Adelaide to take a franchise. And when I realised that it was we needed better support, I just rang him up one day and said, "Phil, how would you like to to run it here?" And he said, "How much?" I said, "Oh, ten grand and pay me off and stuff." So he took it on, and then it was very successful. And then one of the people who used to be our recommended suppliers for mowers, Q Mowers, um, one of the partners there, um, 
basically went to, to Brisbane, to Queensland to start that. So that's how it kind of happened. And then it just seeded off across and, and you just growing at one state at a time and then obviously those people were being seen and you're growing more franchises. What did it kind of look like in year two in terms of numbers for you? Oh, I don't really remember. It just grew. It grew quite fast. It was. It was very radical. I mean, there was. There wasn't that many service franchises around in those days. This was a very different world. Um, like you go to the franchise expo now, and there's, there's thousands of franchises, isn't there? Thousands of them. Yeah, there's so many, and most don't even go to those expos, so you wouldn't even know. But it's a very common thing. We've got all kinds of competitors, people who've tried it over the years, like James's and Fox and all kinds of people. Um, most of whom haven't, none of whom done particularly well by comparison anyway. So it's it's difficult. But you see, if I was back in those days starting against someone like myself, it would have been hopeless because, it, because but, but the people around, the, they just weren't that, they weren't so good. I mean, just to give you an example of what happened, um, we were over in Perth just starting up the, the regional franchise over there. Um, and... Um, while well, we were running this expo, this, this this night to explain to prospects, and then there's this report came through about how this lawn mowing contract company had been actually trashed. They had this terrible story. Yeah. So we all really worried about it. What's going on here? So we went home to watch the TV, and it was actually the investigators, and it was VIP. And what happened is six of their franchisees from, from Western Australia who wanted to go independent, VIP said no, they wouldn't, you can't go independent. They took them to court. They lost. They hired a QC to stop them going independent, and so they went on the investigators, and they and they never recovered from it. So, so, so we have a policy. Yeah, so, VIP, VIP killed themselves by actually trying to hold people in the system who didn't want to be there. And that and and they just killed themselves with legal fees. No reputation. I don't oh. know what it cost them. I mentioned they thought it was worthwhile. But the reputation was was killed. They just they just. It was a terrible story. Even even splash back on us. People say, oh, I've heard bad things about lawnmowing franchises. Hey, it wasn't us. Yeah, so no. we have a clause in the contract that actually says you can go independent anytime you wish to, just pay four grand and and which is you know So say, so say I've got a, a gym's mowing business and I'm out mowing lawns. If I pay you four grand, do you take my trailer back off me and my mower and all that stuff? No. Yes it was. No. You, you keep your customers, you keep your, your uniform. No, you don't you've got to get rid of the uniform, you've got to rebrand, yes. Yeah, but you keep the trailer and keep everything. So it literally is that easy to get out if you want to do it. Just pay the four grand and and, that, and that's it. Yeah. The great majority never do, actually. We've got people who've been with us for years and never taken a lead for years and years, literally, and still want to stay with us. And it's it's look, look, we just put a little bit of a roadblock, just charging the four grand. In the beginning, we didn't even charge that, but we just put that four, four usually four, sometimes five grand, sometimes three, but a very small amount of money. It's never worth anybody's worthwhile to challenge it. Just just to make it a little bit of a... Just to give them a time to think about what they're actually doing and what they're actually giving up and everything yeah. like that and all the infrastructure. It's not like too easy, but, but never enough to be worth fighting us on. Nobody's ever gone to court with these things because it's just too little. It'd take you... You've got to fight in court. It costs you a lot more than four grand to do that. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Te- Jim, one, one question I have to ask you. The When I first came to Australia seven years ago, I was... I was, I was um, stayed at this golf course for a little bit because I had booked a room there because um, it was cheap on on booking.com or whatever at the time you know where I was just just booking wherever I could stay cheap you know I had no money and um, I remember I saw, for the first time I saw your green trailer with your face on it and then and then I saw it once and then obviously you see it over and over and over again and I thought to myself at the time I thought to myself 
this is a massive business, but I would, you never would have thought that that would your face would be the logo of the brand. So, like, can you give me a bit of an insight into how you came about being on the side of every trailer across Australia? Because like, you're everywhere. You're, you're you're on you're on dog washes. You're on cleaning. You're on car car stuff. Everything. Everything. Like, I see your face everywhere. Okay. Now, the way it started was this: <laughs> when I was mowing lawns myself and had subcontractors, I oh. used to do all leaflet dropping, and I found if I put my photo on the leaflet, yeah. that we actually got a better response. And that was basically me with a beard, which I had in those days, and one of those bucket hats, which is good for mowing lawns because it doesn't get knocked off when you go under branches and things. So that was my picture that was on. The, <coughs> now, when we started the franchise, I thought, well, you can't put a picture on a on a on a yeah. shirt or a trailer because it doesn't look strange. So I had a graphical form done of it. It probably cost me a few hundred bucks. And then we had a look at the, the wording. And actually, the, the, the font we use, I actually had a few different kinds of fonts, and I put them around the office where the girls were answering the phone to look at them, for, which is the easiest one to understand. So that's how we did it. So it was kind of like, yeah, it would have cost less than a 1000 bucks to do our first logo. Um, and down the track a bit, um, we actually changed it. Some of my managers came to me and said, hey, this is a bit, you look a bit grumpy in the logo. Let's do a better version. That's the one we use now. But how, how it came about, it, look, it's a, it's a mowing. Don't forget, when I started, I had no thoughts of doing anything besides mowing. It was yeah. just a mowing business. And I looked like a mowing guy. If you think about it, a guy yeah. with a beard and the hat, he looked like that. So that was pretty obvious. Now, then we thought, this is working quite well. So let's actually start doing it for cleaning, using our contracts and, the, and our answering service and everything else. But, you know, nobody's going to want to buy a cleaning business with that mowing logo on it. So we'll do something called Sunlight, S-U-N-L-I-T-E, with little sprays. So we did this other logo, sold a couple of franchises. We had it, we found it very difficult to find work. So eventually I got, went to back to people and said, sorry, here's your money back. We can't make it work for you. We can't find you enough work. Yeah, And then somebody came to me and said, I want to do Jim's cleaning under your brand. And I said, no, you don't, because that won't work, because it's this is a mowing image, isn't it? It's a beard and a hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be a woman. Why would why would you want a woman with a beard and a hat to, mow you, to, to clean your house? And they said, well, we think it'll work. We want to use your logo. And I said, no, it won't. And I said, look, we'll give it a try ourselves. We'll do it as a kind of a, a contract basis, like a, like a master franchisee. So I said, all right, give it a go. If you think it's going to work, well, I don't mind having a, having a go. And they did it, and it worked because they go into a real estate office and they hand over there and they say, oh, from Jim's cleaning. Oh, yeah, who's that? Oh, Jim, give me, oh, yeah, like the mowing guy. Yeah, okay, well, I'll give you a go. So it actually yeah. did appear. So your face was actually opening doors because of the reputation you previously had from your previous business. That's right. So is, 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 your, is your advice then in general to, to anyone in any business is always put your face on the brand? Or what, what, what advice would you give around doing that? Well, I don't really know. But, but I mean, it, it doesn't hurt. It, it depends who you are, I suppose. But the thing about it is it personalizes the brand. And, and a lot of great brands, especially in Australia, have done that well, like Dick Smith, for example. Everybody knows Dick Smith. It kind of, and when you're the person that owns the business, it's also very helpful because you know you're talking to Jim, the guy yep. who started it, yep. which is a lot faithless. Whereas VIP is actually VIP is a guy called Bill Viss, who I actually have a lot of respect for. We get on quite well. He's a good guy, and I and I appreciate what he's what he did as a pioneer, but he didn't put his name on it. Um, I guess one of the reasons he did that because he wanted to be able to do different services, and, and obviously he didn't want too mowing oriented, but. 
it, yeah, se- it I, seems I, to have really worked for you though uh, like all, all all the thought process behind that and vip's thought process in, in being a faceless brand seems to have worked exactly against them how they thought they'd be able to go into more stuff but you've actually turned out and gone into more stuff than probably they have well i don't think it's the brand i think it's the system's operation like vip as an example don't have any selection system which would be anathema you know i had a franchisor who i'll just give you an example of how strongly we do this we had a case of a woman who rang me up because there was problems with getting a franchise contract done and i talked to her and i realized after and i asked her some questions about it she was buying a franchise for her son who was in his early 20s and the reason she was doing this is because he couldn't land a job yeah and i said to her your son cannot have a franchise cannot because that is a recipe for failure and she was very upset she got really really so i wish i hadn't called you and i said you did the right thing but, but said and she said but he needs work and i said okay well let, tell me what i'll do i'll contact the local franchise or and i'll get to i'll get him to get some, some work with a couple of the local franchisees because i know they've got plenty of work to see if he wants to do it people and he was hopeless absolutely hopeless he would have failed he would have lost his money because the mother was buying their business and the son had trouble holding a job. And this is two things alone, either of which would actually tell you this person was not suitable. Now, the point of it is that particular franchisor came up for renewal these 10 years. And I said to him, you cannot continue. That's outrageous. This was the last to even think about selling a franchise to someone like that. It's absolutely outrageous. Now he sold his business. He sold it for a very good profit. He got full, full price paid up for it. No question at all. But that was, to me, a, it's a cardinal sin to put somebody on who you, you don't really think – when you must have reason for thinking it's not going to be successful. Yeah. So that, that attitude that says you've got to look after your people first, that's the thing. And the systems operation and the, giving the people what they want and the right kind of training system and the right kind of support and ringing people regularly and running meetings at least every six weeks, all those things that we do to make them happy, that's what does it, not the logo. Logo could be anything. Yeah, no, no, I, f- I fully agree. I fully agree with you, and I think it's you should. I, I, I do this with with clients of of my business as well. I'm like, look, you are not a good fit for us, so I don't think mm-hmm. that we should serve you. And I'll happily give them a competitor's number if I, because I, you can just tell when you speak to clients on the phone if they're going to be a problem to you after you've been doing it a little while. You can tell when you speak to new franchisees that you can tell that they're not going to hit the levels that they're going to want to require, which means you've now got an unhappy un, load of unhappy customers and you've got a load of unhappy an unhappy franchisee as well. So you, there's no point setting people up to fail. So if you don't feel that they could they could serve you and this, that and the other, then then don't serve them at all. Like get, be, Send them on their way. And, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. And more business owners need to empower themselves to be able to make that decision and do it, um, which which, which which I find is like people always trying to grab money from every different direction they can. Um, is, is that something you've seen? Yeah. Well, look, most, most customers are actually quite reasonable, but at a different level, but most are very nice actually, but you get some few that are just terrible. We have a system called a red list. If, if we have trouble enough with somebody, we, we, we put a red list and so we'll not provide service to them in future. Right. Some, yeah. Some people are just more than they're worth. We had one particular person just last week who had three or four different franchisees um, dealing with them. And you put in complaints, but it's the same thing. And these are good good guys. And, and so eventually I, I wiped the complaints and, and, and we, we red-listed the client because it was just difficult. 
Yeah, the classic example, you know, if if one person's complained about five people, then it's probably more likely the one person's problem than it is the five. So, Especially when they've got a good good track record. If they complain about somebody with a 4.2, but then I might say something, but you're talking about people with a 4.9s and so forth and and saying things about them which nobody else says. It doesn't doesn't ring true. Jim, one one thing I want to one thing I want to ask you as well is, what like you are still as pa- I can clearly see you're still as passionate about this as probably you were when you started it. First, the first thing is like, how do you stay so passionate, and why have you stayed so involved within the business yourself? Like, w- because because with the amount with how fast this has grown, and f- you could have you could have exited years ago, and 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 yeah, I, and be, could, sat I on a beach right now. Luxurious lifestyle for the rest of my life. I could live on it mansion and take overseas cruises and all kinds of things no question i'm probably not as rich as you think i am because we've got so many trailers and only a small amount comes through but uh look there's two things first of all i i love what i do it's fun in a way that nothing else could possibly be as rewarding it's just really really engaging entertaining i'm notorious for i don't like holidays I, i struggle not to work every day of the week but i just love it i enjoy it so much it's so interesting so challenging and the other thing, too, is I have a very strong sense of mission. My franchisees are like my kids in a way. They're, they're, I feel responsible for them. I, I hurt. When, they, when something goes wrong, it, it's, it's quite painful. It, it really yeah. is because you, you feel like it's an extended family. And, and I know that what I do makes a difference to them. And if I can help them. I just had a, a – um, every, every single one of my franchisees has my direct phone number and email address. And they can ring me anytime, day, evenings, weekends, anytime at all. And they contact me. I just had somebody contacted me earlier in the month because his work was was slowing down. He was getting less and less leads. And I had to look at the system and I thought the way he was set up, that there was a problem with it. And I fixed it, just just fixed it. I actually deleted one particular survey, which was unfair, which was which was giving him a bad rating. I did a couple of things with the way he was put down for work. He just emailed me back this morning and said, thank you. This is, things are going so well. I looked and there's a whole stack more leads coming through. Now that's, that's, rewarding in a sense it's like the high point of my day um, yeah to be honest more than more than talking to you because of the fact that i was not that i'm not mind talking to you jim cheers mate but, but the sense that i was actually able to help somebody and made a big difference to his life and it took me so little time it yeah. took me like 10 minutes to figure that out and i do that kind of thing a lot and that sense that because i'm personally involved nobody else well, I'd love to think that eventually I have a successor who has the same passion, but but you have to have a purpose for living. I'm, yeah. I'm a great believer in the science of happiness, and happiness is not just an accident. Happiness is happiness is good relationships, good personal relationships. Happiness is having a sense of mission, a reason for living. Happiness is also things like health, like I get regular exercise and, and, and watch my diet and so forth, and involvement in the community, like in my church and so forth. There's a whole lot of things. So yeah, since I'm living, a, I'm living a dream. I'm living in paradise. I'm living. A, I'm, I'm very happily married. Got some wonderful kids. I've got ten kids actually. So you've got ten I, kids, I Jim. Ten kids, doesn't everybody? When I you're working seven days a week, how how do, you, how do you get how do you get time to create seven t- ten kids? <laughs> don't take that long to a kid. Actually, I don't work <laughs> ridiculous hours. I'm just available. Like for I, example, I love it. I'll, uh, I can do all kinds of different things. In fact, in fact, in a, in a in a in another couple of hours, I'm off to my farm for to spend the day there, just digging potatoes and things, which is from part of my recreation. You'll have to set up Jim's crash for all these for all these kids and grandkids and everything else you're going to have. 
I don't know, I wouldn't want to look after them myself because I work from home to like if, if they get dropped off. My my youngest boys, uh, my youngest kids, um, just turning twelve, so there's not they're not mostly at home. But well, I have contact with them, which is good. Jim, give me give me an insight then, because obviously I can see how clearly passionate you are. I'm passionate about this podcast. People can clearly see that you're passionate about this business, gyms and and franchisees and serving people. And and you you talk about being on mission. You talk about being on purpose. You talk about the importance of happiness and how you're living the dream because you found those things. Give me a bit of a roadmap and a bit of an insight into how people can go and find that for themselves and and kind of how you came to, to that conclusion look it, it's 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 important to do something that you can put your heart and soul into um it's people often ask me which which division should i go into which is making the best money i said it's the wrong question what do you want to do do you like working outside i love being outside i love i love trees and gardens and fresh air i just enjoy that other people don't like it they want to work inside some people yeah. like to do work like bookkeeping and so forth or, or it i mean what what do you want to do? Find something that you love and, and just, yeah, you've got to have something that means something in your life. You've got to work towards something, helping other people in some way. See, my great mission too is my research project. And I was just on the phone before I talked to you. We had an hour talk with my research team talking about all these different experiments we're running. And this can change the world in a dramatic way. You've got to, there's something that you care about. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of research about how you spend money too, and 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 wealth isn't as much of a positive asset as people think. They've actually found that there's different ways to spend money that have a different impact. So, for example, the worst way to spend money in terms of success is in terms of status goods, like having a better car and stuff. It's very competitive. It's very win lose type of thing. Doesn't produce a lot of satisfaction. Buying goods in general comes next to that. Just yeah. for like things that you enjoy experiences are much better still like going yeah. out to dinner or going on a holiday kind of thing but you know the absolute best thing that you can do with money that's going to bring happiness give it away and give it away to a project in which you are personally involved yes yeah. this, is, this is not this is not my this is scientific finding this is what makes people happy and people like bill gates and warren buffett who i enormously admire are people who've actually made tremendous money, but now devoting so much of their resources. Bill Gates is now working full time in his in his. Um, he's my number one world hero, Bill Gates. I think what he's done is fantastic, and, and yeah. you've read about him. He gets a lot. He gets a lot of bad press. A lot of bad press in regards yeah, to well, what so he does. He's a great. He's a truly great man, and and his example has inspired others like Warren Buffett and many others. And I think that kind of thing. And I would say that it, my guess is he's a pretty happy man. He's got a good family life. You know, you know, he would actually drive his kids to school. He 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 works with, he does the washing up with them, this kind of stuff. Or I think something like that. I think he washes up dishes with them. Leads a very ordinary life in a lot of ways. People would find extraordinary for a multi, multi-billionaire. He's he's a very clever man in every sense. I don't he think he knows how to do from what I know about Bill Gates, I don't think his his key driver was the money. I think the key driver was the mission that he wanted to create a software platform and put a computer into everyone's hands and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I think that was his main driver initially. Um, that actually- money is a very bad, money is a very bad driver. Um, you you want to do something, the people who do best and don't forget, I'm, I have experience with thousands of franchisees and franchisors. Yeah. People who do best are those who care about what they do. The franchisors who do the best are the ones that want to give great service to franchisees. who want to really get satisfaction out of looking after people well. And, and the franchises who do best have a passion for service, not just for the money, 
if you go for the money first, you make shortcuts. You'll do things like put a franchisee on who's the wrong person and they'll yeah. fail. It doesn't make you happy. You've got to care about what you do. And one of the things I'm most proud about, and people often ask me, are you proud of having 4,000 plus franchisees? And I say, there's one thing more than anything else that I feel proud of is that my franchisors, by and large, have the same attitude towards franchisees as I do, which is very unusual. And it's always franchisees first. We had a guy called Brian Duckett come out from the UK to one one of our national conferences. And he'd been involved in franchising for decades. And he had involved in hundreds, literally hundreds of better systems. And he said, I've never seen anything like gyms because of this attitude, franchisees matter, franchisees first. And that made me so proud. And and the reason the reason the reason why that is such a powerful thing that now I've understood understood your point from, from what you've been talking about is the fact that by putting the putting them first and by by filling their cup and obviously and understanding that this business that they've bought is to, is to provide a lifestyle for them and their family and empowering them to do that they go and treat the customers better as a byproduct of the fact that they feel like they belong and they feel like they're on purpose and everything like that as well and then they serve well, people better. And they also do it because if they don't do it, they're going to get into trouble with bad complaints and surveys and so forth. Yeah, and, they, they get they get gym ringing them. It tends to be there's a very strong culture at gyms in in various ways. Customer service is part of it. Um, for franchisors, it's franchisee service, but also things like um, there's a very strong sense of family. Um, you often hear franchisees talk in those terms about being part of an extended family or a tribe. Look, look, just to give you an example, we we. A couple of years back, we had this dreadful thing happen where one of their franchisees in Western Australia killed his three little girls and his wife and then his mother-in-law. He killed them. Now, it wasn't his business. It was his, some inner demons. He actually said his business was a source of joy to him. But everybody was so shaken up and upset by it. I went over to Perth to fly, and I, and I met the franchisees at a meeting in the in the golf course there. Um, and most of the franchisees in the whole state were there. Everybody was so shaken. Most of them didn't even know this guy, but just the fact he was one of us that this terrible thing happened to. And I just said, what what can we do, people, to stop it happening again? And they came up with all sorts of ideas. Like, for example, as a result of that, we actually give every every franchisee a – we send them a, a preach magnet with all the emergency numbers, the health numbers and stuff. We provide all franchisors, including myself, I might say, with mental health training Um and one of the things we, one of the things that's just at the time, they said, what about if some of us were to act as mentors, unpaid mentors, just to be there as a voice to speak to? And I said, well, that sounds good, but who would be prepared to spend their time? You know, most people in the room put up their hand, most of them. Because they, be- which is, they yeah. were decent human beings who were concerned about the terrible tragedy that happened. So you, you, you often hear stories about people who, you know, some, a new guy will, will, will have troubles and he'll talk to an experienced guy and he'll spend two hours on the phone just helping him out, doing things for them. During the lockdown in Victoria, it was wonderful. I had one particular franchisee who was in test and tag whose business had been shut down. He had no income, but he rang me up and said, Jim, look, I know, um, I'm, you know, my business is, is, is not working, but I'm actually pretty well off financially. I know there's some people around here who, who've been really badly hurt. Can I help? He was offering with no income to give money to help people less fortunate than him. And I thought that was just wonderful. You know, we had one girl who was threatened by eviction from her home because she couldn't pay because she wasn't a student, didn't have Australian residency. She wasn't allowed to work, yeah. dog wash girl. Um, we lent her some money, not very much, but we lent her some. But um, 
the other franchises were giving him uh, like meal vouchers and stuff, and they were helping her out. We, we said also, too, if you get infected, come and stay at our conference centre. But the way that other franchisees just got around to help people in need, that was wonderful. There was no money in it for them. They just did it because this sense of family. That's something I really, really feel proud of, and that's part of our culture. I, I love the way that you've instilled that because obviously you've you've fundamentally built that from the ground up. Like it's it's you saying yes and no to certain people within your business and who comes in and who and who and who leaves is what's created that that culture within your within your business within your brand. Um, the loyalty within your customers, everything comes from the top down, and then and then and then feeds back. So that that's a testimony to yourself. Now, Jim, one thing I have noticed is you've got a phenomenal library behind you, and I, I love reading books. And I <laughs> give us, you know, for, for for the people out there in business that are trying to trying to get on and trying to push forward, even life, business. Um, the, 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 their mindset what books would you suggest are your like four, four or five key staples that they go and read that have to be read you know i don't i don't disappoint you i probably read or listen to at least at least a book or two a week um so there'd be that's a tiny fraction of my overall library most of it's in other rooms or on the internet and stuff but um most of what I listen to is not actually to do with business. Um, I've just finished reading a book called The Co-Breaker about Jennifer Doudna, who's part of the who got the Nobel Prize for help her role in developing CRISPR. Another one called The CRISPR Generation about this, what happened in, in China with this guy who genetic two babies, which was horrifying what they did. Um, I'm reading a book about the royal family in England. Um, so I, I have a vast variety. I'm, I'm listening to another talking book about about what post disaster, a wonderful story called Earth Abides about when most population of the world is wiped out by disease. Um, is to actually business books, what could I recommend? Um, one book I read very early on was Behind the Arches, which is about McDonald's. Yeah, McDonald's is yep. actually I mean, phenomenal business. I, I, I do not, will not let my kids eat there. I, 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 it's horrible. It's, it's fatty and everything else. But as a franchise, McDonald's is fantastic. What they do, the way they train people, the way they look after them, their genuine concern, the way they consult them. You know, all this McCafe thing they do in Australia, that was all decided by franchisees. Yeah. So they're they're great franchisors, brilliant franchisors, and they deserve every success. I I take my head off to them. So anything about – there's a a, um, film called The Founder, which is about Ray Kroc too. Brilliant film, that. Brilliant film. Unbelievable. I would recommend – I think what – Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Yeah, I would absolutely build it. That's more about ethics and stuff, and it applies to family life as well. But it also talks about business principles. And and I actually hadn't read it. My, even I heard about it. My daughter Sarah, who's just trained to be a doctor, actually said, "Dad, this is the kind of stuff you talk about." So I actually picked it up and read it. And it's it's a great book because it talks about putting character first, character before everything, before. And, and, and how you can win-win relationships and so forth. You know, one of the things I'm most proud of is the fact that we virtually never go to court with anybody. In the whole history of Jim's crew, with over 4,000 franchisees um, and jobs, businesses worth millions of dollars, we've been to court exactly three times ever yeah. in, in more than 30 years. And that's because you really work with people and try and solve their problems and, and, and negotiate with them and try and be fair. One thing you mentioned there that that is really important, and I want to drill down into, is because I've read I've read the books that you mentioned, um, the win win situation, and people need to understand that 
your your sole responsibility in life is 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 to leave, leave it feeling like a win-win every time you meet someone. Other, you don't want to, you don't want to ever feel like the other. You don't want the person that you're interacting with to ever feel like they're they're at a loss because now you've just damaged that relationship with that person for for, for no reason. Um, and it's a it's, it's a great staple to remember when you're conducting business with anybody is to always make sure that they win and you win. Not it's not not you win at the at the sake of them losing. Yeah, that's right. Look, look, I I always believe even with your competitors. You, you play fair. I do not denigrate my competitors. I just don't do it. Um, we actually have a system because we've got so much unserviced leads. We have a system where we actually sell surplus clients to to our competitors in a way that beats beats the crap out of out of high pages because we just charge them a, a single lead for a lead, and they're good quality leads because they're gyms leads because they mostly convert to jobs. Now they're under the same rigorous system as our franchisees. In other words, if they don't give good service, we cut them off. But we do that kind of stuff. And so, during the um, the lockdown, I got you might have heard I got very vocal about the premier. I thought that was grossly unfair what he did and, and needless. But I actually spoke for the not just for my people, but for all contractors throughout the state. Yeah. Anybody who's needlessly lost their job, how, and I was their spokesman. How were your? I mean, I presume your most affected affected franchisees were the, the in Victoria. I mean, how did how did how did they survive and get over all this all this massive lockdown for like what seemed like a year? Well, it was actually 8 weeks, but it was it was awful. It really was. It was very very distressing. Um personally speaking, we weren't much affected financially. I mean, it cost us maybe a million dollars or so, but comparatively speaking, that's that's small beer. We have we've actually had a record year overall. Um but the, the hurt not just the not just the financial hurt, but also the psychological support. People who, who couldn't look after their clients, couldn't do their jobs. Um, one of the most wonderful things about that, we of course suspended all their fees, but we said if you can go out and do anything at all like emergency, you're welcome to do so. We won't charge you anything for it. But not only that, but the franchisors in gyms, what what people call master franchise, we call them franchisors, they were actually still ringing their franchisees, even though they weren't paying them any fees. They were technically all suspended, but they still ring up and say, how are you going, mate? How's things going? Bear up. It'll be over soon. And, and I was speaking to them a lot too. So it was, it was very hard psychologically because I could feel the pain. I had two franchisees with suicide attempts within their own family that I, that I, I spoke to directly. It was a really terrible time. Yeah. But, again, what was good about it was this sense of family, the sense we were all he, hanging together and these sense of, of relationships that, that, that mattered so much. And sometimes you go, a lot of the times you go better as a group than you do individually anyway. So if you... If oh, I you... think we did. I think psychologically it's very important. One of the things we, we offer, and this is a strange thing, and I didn't realise when we started out, I always thought of a franchise as a way to get work. But in actual fact, long term, the sense of community actually seems to matter at least as much. We found, for example, that if you don't have regular meetings, franchisees don't tend to do nearly as well. They, they, they fail more often, they're less happy. The actual meeting together, and we've worked out about every six weeks is, is the right amount, not, not more often, not more or less. Um, meet together, get to know each other, discuss their issues, build relationships, you know, get together for meals with families and stuff. That sense of community is very far more important than I ever thought at the beginning. Yeah. And is there, is there an ideal person that you believe, what, what ideal qualities in a person that you believe is really suitable for the franchise model? Is is there a, is there like you know must have this 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 and this and this to to be suitable? No. Or? no. Look, the, the thing of it is this: um, we probably tend to 
recruit more from the middle to the upper level of the employment market and also a lot of new immigrants too because they're often very enterprising people because they yeah. come from another country um so generally speaking our 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 recruits are more are above average but in, the reality is this if you look at figures on business failures now look at business businesses like cleaning and gardening and so forth which are not not like retail businesses the actual failure rate in the first year, the best figures you can get is between 90 and 95%. 90 to 95%. And and this is, if you can look it up on the internet, if you look at the the American, there's the Cleaning Janitorial Service Association of of America or something like that, you can look at their internet. They they get their 95% failure figure. Yeah. Um, Our our, our average failure figure in the first year is 12%. And when I say failure, that includes people who've gone independent or been offered a fantastic job offer. So it's, it's a fraction the way I look at it is this, there are certain people, we call them gold and silver, who probably succeed regardless. They're just really, really good. Now, yeah. we can help them a lot to build their business fast, put them workers on, but they, they probably succeed. Most of our franchisees are what I would call bronze, and they're people who probably wouldn't succeed without support. And we're very good at helping those people to succeed because we provide them with training, with work, with ongoing support, with encouragement, with meetings, with a whole raft of structures in place to help them when they're making a mistake regular phone calls even weekly in the beginning ideally and then at least monthly thereafter just network system mentors this kind of thing that that's the we can help most people to be successful the ones we can't help are usually what we call leads the ones who just won't listen to you this is a person yeah. who's failing and the franchise always say you're doing the wrong thing you should do this and they say no no you're wrong and then i ring them and i say you should be doing no no you're wrong this is the person who's failing and he talks to people who are experts that I'm not going to listen to you because I know I'm right. And then they fail. So there are people who will cannot be helped, but they're not mostly stupid. They're mostly just stubborn. They just want to be right rather than they want to yeah. succeed. And be and be and being right. Isn't a metric that puts food on the table. Is it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like it's always, well, they, have constant, they have constant complaints and bad surveys and they say, Jim, there's a solution to this. Your, your surveys are all garbage. It's all unfair. It's all wrong. If you stop doing surveys and, and things, then, then I'll, I'll be fine. But they're struggling and they're making a living and they're giving bad service and they're not turning up and they're doing all these sorts of things wrong. But to them, the problem is the survey system, the gym system, me personally, anything, anything but look internally and say, what could I do better? Because that's the biggest thing. People have got to be prepared to look at themselves and their business and say, what can I do better? Yeah, it, 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 it's all – it's every. The way I see it, Jim, is everything that happens to you, positive or negative, regardless of a few certain types of things, is 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 your fault. And if you accept it as your fault, um, like this this good thing happened to me, that's my fault. This bad thing happened, that's my fault. If you accept it, it frees you. And once you're free, then you can learn. You cannot learn while you whilst you're blaming other people for anything or blaming other situations for your lack of anything like you, right. you, you there's no growth there you the first the first rule of growth is to accept responsibility for everything that happens to you and then that allows you to be free enough to to grow in the ways that you're saying um in, right. in, in order to yeah, find that and you take the action you need to now in this particular case i was mentioning before one of the actions this guy took was to contact me which takes a bit of guts because i am sort of this quasi legendary figure i actually try and talk to every franchisee during training so they have some and i write to them an email after one month to see how they're going and ask about paperwork guarantee and stuff but he had the guts to actually contact me and say i've got a problem and he discussed it and 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 i was able to fix it for him so that was an action that he took 
yeah. but all the same, he was somebody who's a good operator. He was he was looking at what he could do and how he could improve, and he was doing marketing and stuff, and he was doing all kinds of things. So he was he's a good guy. Yeah, and 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 ultimately willing willing to learn. Hmm. Jim, most people can be successful in business with the right support. In my experience, I think it's one of the things that distresses me that that people are so hooked on this idea to be successful you've got to go to university and have a degree and do this kind of stuff and the reality of it is character counts more than anything most people can be successful and they can do very well in life they just need the right kind of environment and support so jim in that case then the the, 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 the i have to ask you this then so if there was if there if if you if you're leaving god's green earth today and 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 you can't leave gyms you can't leave anything else but you can just leave uh, a few pearls of wisdom that that go through the ages of time so to speak what would i would what would those pearls be for you from your experience of all this that you've gone through in business Look, and, and life life is always look to improve what you do. Look at everything that you do and try and improve it. Never be satisfied. Never think it's good enough. Never think you've learned everything. Never be too proud to listen to everybody. I've learned so much from people with far less experience than me. I've learned so much from franchisees. One of the reasons I love my franchisees to ring me is because they often come up with ideas. They say, what about this? And I say, well, yeah, well, why does that happen? Why do we do it that way? Why is this message not phrased that way? And they tell me, and we change it. You can't be... I reckon one of the great virtues of the gospel, actually, as I'm a practicing Christian, as you may know, is is the is the attitude of humility, and that's very underrated in this modern world. The idea of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, being able to accept wisdom from everybody and learn from everybody, and never be too proud, never think you know it. Yeah, that's probably my number one lesson I give to anybody. And if you're talking about service in general business in general just look after your customers or for a franchise or your franchisee be fanatically devoted to them more than anything else don't worry about the money first worry about your customers first your franchisees first and if you do that the money will come yeah i i i I agree and one of the most impactful things from from talking to you today for me was was how you how you talked about happiness and how you talked about the importance of it and and how it was structured in your life and how you found purpose um that really that really hit me and resonated because I, I i that is something tangible that i can see would impact anyone's life you know what i mean regardless of whether they want to do a franchise business or any business or anything in life it's like find find that purpose find that why find that reason to get up and then find and and, and then and then put the happy build the happiness first and then you can obviously go and achieve anything you want to so fantastic Jim, I, I just want to say again, like I really appreciate your time coming on the podcast today. I, I appreciate doing that. I'm, I'm going to put um, the links in the show notes to your Instagram, social medias, uh, website, and all that stuff. Is any 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 last any last words? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I I probably said enough. I, I just think you know you're talking to me, and people like to talk to me because I'm I'm successful. I just think people have they put too much store by money, by monetary success. You know, one of the most successful people I ever knew was somebody whose who's best job was, was a tram conductor. This was way back. But he had six great kids and he was a great father and a great husband and he had great, a great force in his local church. Yep. Um, I just think, and there's, there's a saying that one thing I really love is there's no other success can compensate for failure in the home. And I think people focus too much on money. Money is a great product if you've got a purpose for it. But to accumulate money for the sake of it and for the sake of the status and for the sake of the 
the baubles that you can buy with it. And obviously I live in a pretty simple life myself. I drive a 12 year old car, for example. Um, I love I just, that. I love that. People should have their, people should have their priorities straight. And, and you don't, you don't achieve happiness just by piling up money and possessions. And I've got to ask you this one more question then before we go just on that. Cause it's just come to me. But, when you started your your journey in going towards this franchise model, there must have been a, like a dollar figure in your head that you're probably trying to hit. And when you hit that, was that the point you realized there was more to life than just money? Because when you got there, the, you, you realized that looking back, like, was that really the goal? No, no, because I've never had a financial goal as such. I never had a goal of seeing how many franchises I could have. I never had a goal of making a certain amount of money or a certain amount of income. I've never had that. My goals were always to do with my research project. I needed enough to fund the research project. And I wanted my franchisees to be successful. I mean, I I just don't think in money terms. And I really don't care. I mean, if I had a billion dollars tomorrow, and some of the things we're doing could make me that could make us that kind of money, I wouldn't leave much different, I can tell you. It's it's I just be able to do more of the things that mean, matter to me, like like the like the research that we're doing, which could potentially, I believe, have a big big impact on me- mental illness, which is a terrible curse and seems to be getting worse. I think money has never been my goal. I love it. I love it, G- Jim. I I, lo- I love everything you're doing. Um, I'll put links links to the research so people can read more about that. I'll get your get your team to send those through as well. Um, yeah. Fantastic! Thank you so much again for your time today, um, guys. If you if you've listened to this podcast and you've got some value from myself and Jim on this podcast, if you just message message Jim, Jim, what's the best plat or email Jim? Give email Jim. Yeah, let Jim, Jim at jims.net. I'm remarkably easy to reach. Jim at jims.net. Let, let him reply, but let, let him know that you like the podcast. We'd appreciate it. If you can leave us a review on all the platforms, that's Jim Penman. Thank you very much. And, uh, tune in next week. Don't forget to subscribe to the Frankie Lee podcast.